I wanted to remind you to stay out of my way. In all the years to come, in your most private moments, I want you to remember the one man who beat you. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on the tab for Batman Podcast Network, and see a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also love to dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. The Batman Book Club is also part of Patreon, so if you want to help support the show, help keep the generator running and the Wayne Manor study, just go to patreon.com slash thebatmanbc. Now, thank you to, for listening to episode number 84, The Dark Knight Returns. Amazing, it's taken us 84 episodes to get to this book. But it's also perfect, because I have the perfect guest here. Uh, he's an, an encyclopedia on all things comics, uh, actually, like, media, period. Uh, he's been on this show before from the All Swamp Things podcast. It's Mr. Robert Reinecke. Robert, thank you, you for coming back. Well, thank you, Ryan. I, yes. I'm certainly pleased to be on for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. We just, I mean, we just said it before I hit record. And I guess I just said it too, that this long and somebody has chosen Dark Knight Returns. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't have, couldn't have a better guest because you will add a lot of insight here. And just like last time, I've lately I've been getting a little cocky thinking I know quite a bit. And when that happens, you got to bring in the big guns. Mr. Reineke, who will put me in my place. So uh, I will be a student for this episode yet again. I've got a notebook with plenty of pages to take notes. So um, it's well, there's crazy. certainly stuff to discuss. And I could guarantee we will not get to everything there is to discuss about the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, that's our disclaimer is we will finish. And Robert and I will probably message each other tomorrow and say, oh, yeah, I was going to talk about this. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention this. Oh, yeah, I was also going to mention this. So who knows? Maybe we're going to revisit this down the line. I'm sure I mean, we will at some you, point. You, Why not? You could talk for hours just on the influence of Dark Knight Returns on uh, Batman and other movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to get right to it. So let's talk about the Dark Knight Returns. Written and illustrated by Frank Miller. It was released in 1986 in four prestige format uh, issues, uh, inked by Klaus Janssen and colored by Lynn Varley. It has been released in trade paperbacks, hardcovers, a 10th anniversary trade paperback, 10th anniversary hardcover, other hardcovers, uh, an absolute edition, the digitally DC Universe Infinite. A semi-recent, a few years ago, they did a hardcover slipcase that has all four books, but in like a hardcover format. I mean, you name the version, they've <laughs> released it. 
for this book. And there's going to be something new coming along here, I'm sure too. So which version did you, which versions do you have? And then which <laughs> one did you read for this episode? Well, but my, why don't I start out with, uh, I, I decided it was a special occasion. Uh, so I pulled out the absolute edition to read yeah. through it. And that, that's a way to read through it. The, just the size of the pages themselves, I think, forces you to be slow and careful when you oh, <laughs> read yeah. and pay attention. Uh, I also have um, two of the paperback. I think I have the, the 10th anniversary and I have the original uh, collection with the Alan Moore uh, introduction on it, which is very dog-eared and worn over the years. That's my, <laughs> well, I, I get to read one, so I don't care what happens to this one. Mm-hmm. And I, I also had the original issues, which I sorely were tempted to pull out of the bag to read, but <laughs> <laughs> I have them with me and I, if we need to refer to them, but I don't want to lower the value on them any more than they are. <laughs> I, I understand that. Uh, I was a little panicked at first as I started to see. So when we covered the killing joke this year, that's um, what do you want to say? birthed a collector's game for peter vera and he started tracking down as many copies of the killing joke that he could well for the dark knight returns i've gotten a little crazy and i started grabbing other copies and then i thought maybe i had more copies of the dark knight returns than i did of the long halloween but fortunately i do not i still have more copies of the long halloween so thank goodness so i have you gotta be at least plus one <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely if i if i somehow get another copy of dark knight returns i will go buy something of the long halloween i can't yeah uh but like you mentioned i've got the original trade paperback uh with the alan moore introduction i've or got is it the, much better condition than mine is it is it <laughs> <laughs> i've got the 10th anniversary version that's got an intro by frank miller as well as like the original uh kind of like scripts um for part four in the back uh i've got what i mentioned what i just mentioned of the the hard covers for the four books that was released uh recently but my favorite is the absolute edition and like you said that's the version that i i read for this because when it's absolute it's hard to not read that version <laughs> that's kind of the one it's just kind of the one to go to because like you said the pages are big and you just you really just get sucked into the book and reading it and you take your time with it and you absorb everything and yeah uh i'll get more I, i'd say on the, the splash pages pop even bigger yeah the absolute it, edition <laughs> bigger better um it's true imax comic book reading there you go uh do you remember the first time that you read the dark knight returns yeah, that would be the first day it came out on the stand. It came out. a Friday afternoon after school in my senior year of high school. <laughs> wow. That was New Comic Book Day, Friday? Friday was New Comic Book Day. Wow. Wow, that's I a great way to start a weekend. Stop, yeah. at, stop, get out of school, stop by the comic shop, and boom. Exactly. Although I, I now realize that the comic shop that I went to was in a sketchy part of town. But <laughs> <laughs> but you got your copies, so it's okay. I got my copies. <laughs> I recall, uh, though my memory maybe played tricks on me, that at least one issue of uh, of uh, Howard Chaikin's The Shadow came mm-hmm. out on the same day. Oh. So I read like those two ultraviolet comics back to back. Wow. <laughs> and I that had was... a grand old time. <laughs> <laughs> that was peak weekend. What did you do on Saturday and Sunday? 
Now, would you? Now, would you, I, would you I, each I do day recall of, I read uh, Dark Knight Returns right away. I think it went to the high school basketball game. Then after that, I read it again, and I yeah. remarked to friends, I think this is the best comic I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you're a fan. That's good. Uh, yeah. did, was it every every day of release for all four books that you, like, release day you got each book? Uh, it was a release day, or uh, I think the last one I got on a Saturday uh, okay. after, but it, it was... Slacking. <laughs> <laughs> So by, by that time, the, the print run had caught up with demand. <laughs> ah, okay, got it. Uh, so me, this is this is different because I was a senior in high school. I'd never read this. I was sitting there, and I can picture it now. I was sitting in a psych, my psychology two class, and next to our classroom was a, another teacher that was a big comic book fan, and he came walking over and just walked right in and interrupted the class. And said, hey, I'm cleaning out some comics. I thought you would like this. Because it it got around high school. It was a small town high school. People knew this guy loved Batman. Uh, <laughs> and he handed me the original trade paperback of Dark Knight Returns. Just gave it to me. Period. It was like, I hope you enjoy That's it. That's a hell of a gift. Amazing, right? I hadn't read it yet at that point. I don't know why. I just, I didn't have access. I know. <laughs> I'm sitting here talking about early 2000s. It was the library or some drive to a big city to a bookshop that had stuff like mm -hmm. slim pickings in small town. But one of the first images that I saw when in flipping through was Batman holding the, like the grapnel gun. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, this story's bullshit. Batman doesn't use guns. And I didn't read it. <laughs> I put it on the bookshelf and I didn't touch it until the next year in college when I think it was like a weekend I didn't go home or something. And I decided, okay, I guess I'll grab this. And that's when I read it and was like, wow, this is, I mean, it's almost embarrassing at that point, 19 years old, reading this for the first time. Mm -hmm. However, I'm also really glad that that was the first time because there would have been so much more that would have gone right over my head if I'd have read it, you know, early teens yeah. or, or something like that. So I think, it was delayed, but for a really good reason. Uh, the you, Lord was above was like, Ryan, were, wait till you're 19. You were ready for it. <laughs> That's right. It said that. He's like, I will be here for you, Ryan. No rush. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just, you need to be, you need to absorb it. Um, when you were on last time and, and I asked you, you know, I was like, of course, Robert, you're welcome back to come. Uh, think of whatever book. And you, I forget what a couple of your other options were and you threw Dark Knight Returns. So what made you land on the Dark Knight Returns? Well, I mean, as I said at the beginning of the show last time, it is my favorite Batman story. Um, now, I mean, that's part of it when it hit me in life. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure it's, if I've been hit something else at the age of 18, it might, might have taken its place, but this one hit me at the right place and everything changed. Yeah. Uh, Oh, well, I, I won't say everything changed, but it certainly was like one of those defining yeah. books of 1986, which was a, a great year in comics. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, be, beyond that, it's like, I couldn't believe nobody else had picked it yet. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that. <laughs> and I had all this information on hand because I had been doing uh, research uh, for my mm -hmm. other website and had been down going through the newspaper archives at the uh, public uh, public library and then i said well wow i'm down here 
I don't have a copy of the of the Rolling Stone article, though I remember it. Let's see what it's actually like. So I scan that in, and <laughs> I have a, a copy of uh, Amazing Heroes number 69 from April of 1985, where Miller first talks about uh, The Dark Knight Returns, and it sounded amazing then. Um, so I have wow. a copy of that, and I said, well, I'll just share this with Ryan. <laughs> Prove my bona fides. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's, I think I'm really happy because it's only happened a few times here and we're at episode 84 that someone has come that a guest has come on and they've gotten they've gotten to choose their favorite Batman story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really I love it when that when that does happen, because I mean, I love talking about the long Halloween. I've already <laughs> I've already mentioned it twice now in this episode. Yes. So uh, but when I can talk about the long Halloween, I love talking about the long Halloween. So the fact of. Now I'm going to take somewhat of a backseat as you get to just kind of inform us all about all sorts of different angles about this story, because I love the fact (laughs) the book is 35 years old this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I just told you, I'm about to turn 35. (laughs) Uh, So that's pretty wild. But maybe that explains why um, I shot out of the womb loving Batman is because it was right in a transitional (laughs) moment, an important part of American history, Dark Knight Returns was mm. in the process of being released. Uh, but I, I'm i really happy that you're on for this because you're able to shed light on pre-Dark Knight Returns, during Dark Knight Returns, post-Dark Knight Returns. Most people listening to this show are post-post-Dark Knight Returns, yes. way after the fact. So I would love to hear just like some insight of you know, the lead up to this and uh, as what it was like those Fridays, those Friday afternoons when you go to the comic shop to grab this and how different it was from book one to book three or book four. Uh, And maybe the mass hysteria, how you were coming across it in the media and everything. So uh, let's let's just start there. there, There's been some documentaries. There's definitely been interviews that Frank Miller's given and such where, uh, I mean, we don't have to give a, a biography on him. It was just he Miller's would you say his first splash was Daredevil at Marvel oh, right absolutely okay and, and then that, that made it quite a, a big splash because he got to basically do whatever he wanted with the character mm-hmm. <laughs> and nobody cared because Daredevil did it sell <laughs> and I think and he made Daredevil a a huge name of uh, Marvel's most popular book Never its most popular, but never its most acclaimed book. Close. Okay. Uh, I mean, it was out there the same time as uh, Claremont and Byrne X-Men. So, okay. In good company. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) In which he he was working with Klaus Janssen then. Is that correct? Okay. And Jeanette Kahn was the president of DC Comics. And Batman wasn't selling that hot. Uh, DC wasn't selling that hot. (laughs) DC wasn't selling that hot. Okay. And... I mean, there were a couple of exceptions, New Teen Titans, mm-hmm. maybe Legion of Superheroes uh, okay. under uh, Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen. Um, that was about it. <laughs> that was about it. Okay. And Jeanette Khan, she wanted a slice of this uh, acclaim. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that in somewhere along the lines, in between an interview with her and an interview with Miller that they'd said you know, like in the eighties, you'd look at, so maybe Batman wasn't great, like selling great, but when you look at polls, he was everybody's favorite DC character. So he just, he definitely needed that boost. And it looked like, uh, Jeanette Kahn and Miller had a lunch 
in which uh, they discussed of him doing Batman, but I think he basically kind of felt a little too daunted by it in which that's how Ronan came about in which then he went back to Daredevil and then he came up with, with the Dark Knight Returns. So there's just, I know that is just like, there's a lot there that I just briefly touched on. So that's a little catching up. Take it away, Robert. How (laughs) the the build up to Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I feel that the the one thing we really haven't talked about yet is also the rise of the direct market. Okay. uh, Which I think the Dark Knight Returns does not exist without the direct market because the Comic Code Authority was still in uh, uh, force. I mean, it had loosened up considerably, but if you wanted newsstand uh, distribution, uh, you had to go through the Comic Code Authority with one exception that I know of, which was uh, Alan Moore Swap Thing, um, which started in about uh, 84 and about 85, they tossed off the Comic Code Authority. Um, so, um, but so things were loosening up. Um, there was also very much a movement towards some more adult oriented books. And we would get some books from England that did not subscribe to the Comic Code Authority uh, in the early mid eighties. Uh, Howard Chaikin's American Flag being a big one, which uh, Howard Chaikin was a studio mate of uh, uh, both Walt Simonson and Frank Miller at one point. And that must have been a hell of a group when they were both all three working at the high of the game. But I feel Miller certainly borrowed some of the uh, talking heads media commentary from Howard Chaikin. (laughs) (laughs) And the the adult themes. um, Because American Flag was a pretty big deal in the mid 80s. I don't know what its sales were compared to, say, Spider-Man or X-Men or something like that, but it was winning awards. It was like a groundbreaking title. Uh, so that was definitely in the mix there. And I I feel that uh, Frank Miller after Ronan certainly wanted a, a bite of that apple mm-hmm. uh, too. Uh, he wanted that unfettered freedom. Um, also, uh, DC was clearing the board with Crisis on Infinite Earths, which wrapped up, I think technically it wrapped up right in the middle of uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns, I think between issues one and two, certainly in between issues one and three, it, it was done. Uh, so there was a clean slate and DC was willing to try new things. And after getting kicked around by Marvel for the better part of a decade or two, mm-hmm. they do what every good company does when they're getting beat. They steal their best talent. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, in, in that in that way too, and I think not only was it smart to reel him in, but to basically have freedom. Yes. Like have have at it. You're obviously talented. Uh, in which I mean, they gave him they gave him Ronan. Ronan was respected, but nobody said it worked a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> Do you think um, that one is definitely now just more attention and uh, better? reviewed now than at the time i i think so i think people okay. know what to make of it i think it also helps that stuff like a lone wolf and cub has now made inroads uh among people in america because mm-hmm. <laughs> certainly miller had been influenced by japanese uh, uh manga uh also kurosawa movies 
yeah. I would say specifically high and low, which I might get back to uh, during this uh, podcast here. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly the the Miller the mirror shades of the villain in uh, uh, high and low ends up working its way into Sin City uh, in a, in a decade or so. Um, so I know Miller has seen it and being set during a heat wave is probably something that uh, Miller at borrow for Dark Knight Returns. But you had that. You had Alan Moore throwing off the Comics Code Authority uh, on Swamp Thing. But the, the big difference is that nobody had done an adult superhero comic with a A-list character that the general public knew. Gotcha. So Miller That's was probably the, the biggest that. the biggest takeaway of which is which is weird to me a little bit because or not weird it's uh difficult to comprehend because we do come across some i mean you come across even some stories with like the Englehart and rogers strange apparitions mm -hmm. run and you know that had that had maturity daniel yes. neil neil adams stories had had maturity uh to them but yeah they they I, were mature stories but they were stories that could be told from perfectly appropriate for a 12 year old yeah and and i mean and then yeah then you do you have that in mind when reading this version this is the best i think uh my the best reading of the story i've i've had i think because i think i i was between like reading um reading interviews and then just really giving myself the time to absorb and really think about the things that Miller said in interviews about, you know, the, I mean, he said, he said a lot, maybe almost every single interview, like post the story that like he was so mad and angry while writing the story. And I think that knowing that it, hearing that and then reading the book, and then even watching maybe even the animated movie a little bit, I think you can feel it definitely uh, like it's, you can feel it through the story and how he constantly says about how it, there's a great story. And it's, it's bad to say that it's great, but when he talks about, you know, when he, he'd gotten mugged in, in New York city and he's like, how humiliating that is to be at the mercy of someone else who's pointing a gun at you. And basically like their, your life is in their hands. And he's like, here, believe it or not, this story, I wouldn't write that superheroes are good because how many, how many of us want, we want a hero like this to come and help us out. And with and again, and that's another thing, as you see with Batman on his one man crusade, uh, that, that it's just like, you could, I could just totally feel at this time of Frank Miller's pissed off at the world. <laughs> <laughs> and Batman yeah. was his, uh, I can't think of the term I'm going, I'm going blank with, with terms, but it's it his was, proxy. Yeah, there you go. Like, yes. Yeah. Ah, he gets it out through Batman. So, uh, his avatar. I, I, his, yeah. There it is. Avatar, his avatar. What I loved about in the absolute edition is, and it's the smallest like, no, is that it starts to show that his first proposal for anything that he ever called the dark Knight, And then how much of that actually helped him with year one. So he, I, he didn't even know it that he was writing a story that's going to be produced in three years while also mm -hmm. writing a story that's going to be produced in two. So way to go, Frank <laughs> <laughs> doing the work. Yeah. I mean, I think in 1986, Frank Miller was also doing board again. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what, that's what you'd sent to me of almost like a trifecta. 
of Born Again, Dark Knight Returns, year one. Name another talent that has <laughs> three Grand Slams in a row. Like, holy crap. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if I could say Alan Moore because I, I think uh, Killing Joke is a good, good story. Mm-hmm. But it's not a Grand Slam, although it is sandwiched between uh, Watchmen and Z for Vendetta. <laughs> And yeah. his swamp thing run, but the, there is there's not like three in a row there, but there's certainly like two in a row. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but uh, Miller and Moore were definitely where it was at in the eighties, uh, as far as acclaim and going. I think I sense that the, each of them, and to an extent, Howard Chaykin and Walt Simonson were all pushing each other uh, mm-hmm. to more and greater heights and uh, edgier works and more challenging works. And yeah. uh, I think 1986 was uh, the year when it uh, took roost at uh, DC Comics. And as great as uh, uh, American Flag might have been or Love and Rockets might have been uh, prior, they did not have the uh, crossover appeal of uh, DC Comics at the time where you had uh, both The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen which is a hell of a one-two there, and Howard Chaykin doing The Shadow in the same year. You had John Burns Man of Steel that year. Um, George Perez launched uh, the, the relaunch of Wonder Woman that year. So you're saying that 1986 was an awesome year? Yes, it was an awesome year for comics. <laughs> Not just for comics. It was an yeah. awesome year. It was Anybody an awesome born year. in 1986 must have been special. <laughs> Ryan Lauer came in 1986. Hey, boom. The comics born again had such in 1986. A, the comics had such an influence on my parents. Yeah. Nine months later, here I am. I tell you what. Woohoo. Uh, they, they may have read Batman <laughs> Dark Knight Returns. In that no, they didn't. I can guarantee you they did not. <laughs> <laughs> they did not have a, a date night reading uh reading batman unfortunately uh i tried to think what oh yeah what else was in 1986 was whatever happened to the man of tomorrow by uh alan oh Moore. my gosh Swamp damn thing, uh, american gothic by alan <laughs> Moore was wrapping up do uh, they have a book written comics in 1986 just should. that year not the 80s just 1986 <laughs> like holy holy crap it, it was the year that changed everything I, I I think it was partly grand design that we're going to relaunch clean after Crisis on Infinite Earths and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And they had the right collection of talent, and it was at the right time where things were loosening up. I I would say the direct market had reached a point where we didn't need to stand sales, so we could do what we wanted to. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they have been creeping in the direction of more adult books, but. <laughs> 1986 was the year they kicked the door down. So, okay, I'm looking up to verify because one thing that um, we talk about the effects of the Dark Knight Returns and perhaps most recently its its influence was the 2019 movie Joker. How so? (laughs) Uh, Miller had referenced about the Bernard Getz uh, incident in New York City. And I'm I'm no scholar on this. I learned this through Miller too, but basically it was an incident in New York where a man shot guys who were trying to rob him on the subway. And it became a massive trial because 
you have this guy. Uh, some of them were, were shot and killed, correct? I believe so, yeah. Okay. And so he's on trial for this. I mean, on the one hand, it's like you have a guy it's self-defense. And then on the other hand, it's like, no, look at the law. Was this murder? And I mean, look at the look at Joker. And that's such a like, that's a turning point in the movie. Almost the same thing happens. Bullet guys beating the hell out of this this guy. So in self-defense, he shoots and kills him. And well, then he does take it a step further. If it really happened, wink. But um, Miller uses that and says, you know, like that was ramping up at the time. And so it that was like an influence as well for Dark Knight Returns and how Batman is the, I mean, you have, it's a discussion yes. worth having, but it's throughout the whole book too. And I love how he does, I love how he does uh, almost like balancing of, you, he gets the in the media. You have somebody that's commenting about Batman or comments about the criminals, and then the very last line is like something that kind of, well, negates everything they just said. Miller does not hold anything back from his uh, savage media satire. Yes, <laughs> and and I I really I think that is like more absorption. I obviously I I noticed that the you know when I'd read this before and everything, but in just trying to remember, make note of that for for this episode i think that's i don't know it's just kind of fascinating of that's his his perception of media that i think sometimes can we can see it today too and i'm not i'm not bashing of like media is evil or anything like that it's just we can sometimes we can see that if we're you know if we're paying attention to things of uh well we can't take you seriously now look what you just said like damn it. so <laughs> i'm scattered all over the place you've set the stage now so yes, Dark Knight Returns is, has come out. Yes, Dark Knight Returns has come out. And uh, yeah, I can still remember the day I bought the book. And uh, honestly, I, I feel that what I, it's the best way to describe it is what my initial impression was. I, the books were laid out for sale on the Friday afternoon. It was a bright sunny day. I didn't really recognize at first that it was a comic book. <laughs> And then I kind of, I knew it was coming out that day, but I wasn't sure where it was in the stack. And then I got going, well, I know it's out. And then I zeroed in and I recognized that the thing that didn't even look like a comic, it looked like some sort of slick magazine mm -hmm. uh, was on the stands. And uh, with that lightning bolt cover, which is the perfect metaphor for how it hit the industry at or the time. Returns. And yeah. I, I saw too, that that was a point of, contention within dc is because they were going against the norm in this release it was you know the lightning bolt batman and silhouette and then along the side batman the dark knight returns there's no bass symbol on this book no and i mean is there maybe superman's but is there a more recognizable image than the bat symbol and that's not me trying to play bias and and so yeah, of course, I could totally understand that. Of like, wait, we're not going to put the bat symbol on this book. How <laughs> will uh, people know it, it's a Batman book? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I know that the text right there says Batman, but how will people know that this is a Batman book? In which I saw too that uh, Jeanette Kahn was all about Dark Knight Returns, whereas Paul Levitz, he wasn't sold until after issue one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then he, he was he like, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, after issue one, it sold out immediately. And oh, okay. Yeah, Frank knows what he's doing. Yeah. 
And then maybe because they knew the article in Rolling Stone was coming out, they did something pretty much unprecedented. They went back to print. And second printing weren't happening. The industry. So second printings weren't happening before Dark Knight Returns? Second printings were not happening before wow. Dark Knight Returns. Hear so, that, kids? If you, if you didn't get a copy, you were out of luck. Man. That's that's oh. not so you you had yourself a first uh, printing when you knew that a second was coming were you going to get your hands on that one too or were you fine you just had the one I was fine when I just had the one the sales were great I mean about uh, just a few weeks after uh, it came out and before the second issue came out the the article hit in uh, Rolling Stone magazine and uh, people went insane even more insane then and they went the second printing which sold out immediately uh, they went to a third uh, printing then which i believe at that point they had reached the the limit but it took them a while and uh wow when the rolling stone article hit things went crazy um now rolling stone was a big deal mainstream publication in uh 1986 it wasn't people it wasn't time but it was big. I, I did a little research and uh, uh, from a New York Times article in 1985, Rolling Stone had uh, increased publication to circulation to 1 million. That was a, a major coup for DC. I don't know how they pulled it off, but it, it uh, certainly uh, signaled that things were changing and uh, more things were changing. I mean, we, we would get the cliched how bad comics aren't for kids anymore articles in the next year or so in increasing uh, numbers Jeez. before it became a cliche rather qu quickly, but <laughs> oh my gosh, that's another thing that, that returns changed. I mean, comic books would get uh, coverage in uh, popular magazines. Um, so, I mean, it's not unusual to see a, uh, review of a comic and say entertainment weekly these days mm -hmm. but it was unusual to see a comic in any sort of magazine or newspaper uh back in the mid 80s gotcha so i mean that's one of the things which told you right away how big a chord uh frank miller's batman was striking so um with all the way maybe we should actually talk about the book itself <laughs> Let's talk about the book. Uh, we've laid some good groundwork. Uh, mostly what I want to hit on, and I'm going mean, to, we'll get to these, but The Return, The Media, Robin, Mutants, Joker, Superman. That sounds good. Okay. Because I think those are pretty much like, those are some, the big, like big points. So, so his return. Uh, so as, I mean, Many of us know that Miller was about to turn 30. He has long had long pictured that Batman Bruce Wayne is 29 years old. And it was freaking him out that he was <laughs> going to be older than Batman. So he said, I will make him 50. I will never see the age 50. So Batman will be older. And then boom, he was a 50 year old Batman who, as we, we, which I love in setting the stage. Miller takes his time to set the stage. It's not, uh, oh my, man, I am sorry. I'm going blank on explanation. Exposition. 
it's not hardcore exposition here. Like it's a very unique approach to show this is an old Bruce Wayne. Uh, we get the media reports that eventually come around. Oh yeah. And by the way, you know, this marks the 10 year anniversary since the last time anybody's seen uh, Batman. And then it just, and then it moves on and we, we get a, a vibe of how Gotham is these days. And um, I love it because even though I'm far no. from retiring, <laughs> far, <laughs> far, far away from it. Um, it's the fact of you've got a little, almost a little bit of like a, a man who has left what he's used to. And now he's seeing and thinking of, you know, Oh, it's, it's suffering without me. It's not doing so good without me. I helped keep this place in order. I helped keep it in check. Um, and he's not necessarily, I don't think necessarily that he's feeling lost. It's just, he had that, he had yeah. that bat inside of him and he had his release and now it's just been festered inside now for 10 years. Uh, I, I just love how Miller introduces us into this, which leads up to the return in that scene of the return where it is the flashback of the Wayne murders. Every channel he's flipping to with the news is just bad news, bad news. Oh wait, the, the weather might break and then murder and like, and then more and more and he tries to get away from it. And then we get the bat crashing through the window, which is just like, fine, let's do this. And then he goes and just kicks ass. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Miller sets the stage exceedingly well. I will say, I think right off the bat. Uh, yeah, there you go. No. <laughs> <laughs> unavoidable. Miller, it's unavoidable. <laughs> it is unavoidable. Miller, I think he works one of his major changes to Batman right away. That uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne is kind of this uh, pressure cooker of emotions that need a release and i think he establishes that and i i feel that's carried out through batman uh thereafter that there's strong emotions in here that are bottled up in batman and at some at points they're going to reach a breaking point and bubble over and maybe he'll be doing himself harm maybe he'll be a great hero maybe he'll cross the line maybe he won't but there's something elemental inside of Batman that's going to be released sooner or later and he, he can only contain it for so long. Yeah. And I, I feel that that's one of the key principal changes that uh, Miller found as an angle into Batman. And I, I feel that it carries out uh, through the story, which has a real arc from beginning to end. I think it's, it's great in the sense of that's a very humanistic quality and it's definitely mm-hmm. relatable. We, We've all felt like Jim Carrey and me, myself, and Irene. We have that moment that we hear the Foo Fighters song break out and we just lash out. Like, we've had it. And Batman, look at that. He's ahead of the game. Batman had his Foo Fighters moment way before Foo Fighters was a thing. Uh, With that bat break crashing through the window. And then I love the sequences that follow and how the fist coming through that window to grab the mutant and pulls him through, saves a woman from being attacked. The, another woman being attacked in the back of a taxi. I love that part. And then how he reaches in and grabs the cash, tears it up and, and gives it to him. And then the, the police chase, which ultimately leads to the warehouse where he really, or no, the arcade is next. 
where we get the lightning flashes and then um yeah the jumping on the car we're in for and a Carrie. show to, kid yes with carrie at the arcade oh carrie kelly we'll get to her mm-hmm. um and yeah i just i think i love i just really love the return part all of that oh, yeah no all of that i i think is is handled well i mean he establishes batman struggles right away i mean first page this would be a good death yeah not good enough <laughs> okay i don't think that's, about that's, how that's an attention die. getting line <laughs> yeah i don't go through my day and be like you know if i went <laughs> off this bridge that'd be a good death yeah not good enough though so let's keep <laughs> on driving and uh kevin and gordon having drinks uh mm-hmm. bat- just the depiction of Gotham, which had never looked this gothic before. This mm-hmm. expressionistic is covered with eagles and gargoyles. And I suppose one could even say so Nazi fascist imagery is present yeah. in it. Yes. Yeah. I, I just opened heat. up to a page where, it, I mean, one of those gargoyles, it looks a little, <laughs> a little Third Reichish. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and it, the, I think it's the, a hellhole. It is, and the coloring is interesting too because it feels like muted, but not in a way that isn't appealing either. Yeah. And I think that's it, it's really still vibrant, but muted. <laughs> yeah, and it, it helps with the atmosphere and the attitude uh, and the whole vibe of the story. And so I, I really love, I really love that. And that's what that's a note I should throw in here too is definitely Frank Miller's art. Um, We'll get to that too. The media part. So I will not say that I don't appreciate it because I definitely do. I know before sometimes in reading this story in turning the page and seeing all the talking heads up from the media screens, from the TV screens, it's like, eh, like it, it could slow me up a little bit. I'm like, I want to keep going with the story. Yeah. So pending the mood um, is where I'm, I'm, it's a little too much as opposed to like, per, like I'm a okay with it, but the contents of the media is great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, the subtle things that uh, Miller uh, uh, sneaks in because they live in a world where apparently plastic surgeons are esteemed well enough that they can win a Nobel prize. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I know in the, the 30th uh, anniversary edition that came out in 2016, the, it, the opening of it has an interview between him and uh, Brian Azzarello because they co-wrote Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, and how they both mentioned, how Frank said in writing it, he laughed his ass off. And Azzarello says, like, I laugh my ass off because as dark as this story is, like, it's satire. And it, it like, is totally kind of making fun of, like, you know, these figures. And sometimes, and I'm definitely one that I take things at face value, so it I, reading especially may not i may not get it as tongue-in-cheek uh and so definitely knowing that going into this and reading it too is also uh, great <laughs> like <laughs> further like what you just said with, with um with that the i mean making fun of the mayor still in consultation it's still in consultation <laughs> like, <laughs> all the the, yeah. the the faces of uh, the one that stands out is definitely like commissioner James Gordon has been shot and killed. 
Oh no, whoops. I read that wrong. <laughs> he shot and killed a 17-year-old boy. <laughs> like, and it's just kind of, I mean, stuff like that. The people arguing, Lana Lang's um nice cameo in here and with the arguments and I, I it's just too many examples in here. It's just it is a dissection of the media in more so or not more so because like i said and i'm not here saying like media is evil or anything like that it's just we can definitely find moments where it's like this is just kind of lunacy yes (laughs) this is available to be on television even now 35 years later there are elements that's like this is ridiculous that this is on tv (laughs) yes somebody coming up with the the first hot take is more important than getting it right (laughs) yes exactly like oh my gosh but i all of that is is great and then you said with uh, this gener like this this time period and wolfer in his whole mission okay so harvey day gets taken out by so you know he's cured yes he's great he's free what's he do oh he he steals two helicopters and loaded with a bomb and is threatening to blow up a building that's full of people and that towers which is kind of an eerie it's very eerie (laughs) and then batman stops him and so then there's an interview with wolper his uh dense uh doctor the next day and he's talking about you know, every antisocial act can be traced to irresponsible media input. Um, can only lead to antisocial programming. Just as Harvey Dent, who's recovering steadily, thanks for asking. Like, <laughs> what? And and he and his insertion in this story of how dare Batman, my poor patient, the Joker, who has killed over two hundred people. That poor man. It's it's wild. Miller saw the future. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's happiness. He's happy. He was happy. But it's just, <laughs> it's wild. This the story, the depths here, which I can only imagine had such a I can only imagine people reading this as it was coming out. Yeah. And that we I, haven't I had feel anything I, like this. I was before. even a little behind the the times and figuring out the satire. I think it didn't take me, took me, I I took it really serious for the the first time i read it but things have started to to creep in and they pay more attention to it and i i feel that it's one of those rare beasts that walks the fine line Mm -hmm. by being a satire but also working as a thing that is satirizing and that is really hard i mean robocop does it um (laughs) but a lot of them just don't they're they're satires and they may even be funny but they don't work in the same way it does i mean this works as a superhero story mm-hmm. it works I agree. as a violet batman story you mentioned you mentioned really quickly of jason todd and i think i think this has only been recently in the past couple of years that people have really started to put together the fact of oh wait this was before death in the family oh yes because we instant a lot of people now if they first read this like it's not even a thought if it's like you know, I, I when he's having his drinks with Gordon and Gordon says, uh, you know, after what happened, to, where is it? especially with what happened to Jason, 
And then even when we see a couple pages later and Bruce is down in the in the cave and the Robin suits up, like everybody will just think of like, oh yeah, Death in the Family. When it's like, no, 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 this came out two years before Death in the Family. Miller was plotting this three years before Death in the Family. You can definitely tell that Jim Starlin was a big fan of the Dark Knight Returns. Um, reading the cult in particular, but uh, he was certainly one of those things that pushed uh, for the death of Jason Todd. Uh-huh. And uh, although it was put up to a public vote, uh, I certainly think the Dark Knight Returns had uh, its thumb on the scale to an extent because people wanted to see that play out, uh, that back history play out and make Dark Knight Returns even more in canon than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I feel that I'm kind of more responsible than uh, Frank Miller is for the de- death of Jason Todd because I voted for the death <laughs> of Jason Todd. <laughs> so do you think, so that was a full-on Frank Miller decision. Uh, and that's, I, I think it that's works. What, that's what starts Bruce into the, I mean, we're led to believe Jason died as Robin. That's when Bruce hung up the cape and cowl. Yeah, which, uh, which makes sense. And yeah, what he puts back uh, on the Cape and Cowl, he doesn't mm-hmm. feel an ounce of regret for doing it. So mm-hmm. I feel that's part of what Miller is saying here that, uh, yeah, this is who he is. He can't run from who he is. Uh, he just has to accept it. There might be some of a monster inside him, uh, mm-hmm. but it is it is what he is. Yeah. <laughs> Criminals beware. <laughs> Now, with that, we do get a new Robin in Carrie yes. Kelly, in which in one interview I read, so it can be easily thrown that Frank Miller created uh, the whole idea of Batman or of a new Robin and the Robin is a, is a girl. But Miller commented that it was John Byrne who said that Robin should be a girl. And then Love and Rockets artist uh, Jamie or Jaime Hernandez mm-hmm. drew an image, which you can actually look that up online, and you can see that there is a a female Robin uh, image that I think kind of planted that seed. I don't know who would have planted it first, whether it was John Byrne or, or Hernandez, uh, and then Frank Miller ran off with it, and with Carrie Kelly, a beloved character. Yes, <laughs> I think it's almost unanimous that people love Carrie Kelly. Yeah, and I, I feel like she is one of the stars of the books. I mean, uh-huh. the movies have completely ran away from Robin, mm-hmm. but even while embracing the Dark Knight Returns, but Frank Miller completely embraces Robin and her role in the story, uh, Robin's role. I mean, she does direct Batman uh, towards a purpose. I feel that she is an immense uh value to the story uh she lightens it up batman in a way um he it certainly brings out the other uh sides of him other than pure terror they it brings out the the fatherly side he definitely has affection for uh carrie and and i i don't think he'd admit it but i feel he's amused by carrie too <laughs> as some of what she gets up to uh, he certainly has a lot of patience with her. He keeps threatening to fire her when she breaks the rule, and she breaks all <laughs> your rules. 
but he uh, breaks plenty of rules too. So I feel that's yeah. <laughs> something that they have in common. <laughs> well, I think what it, a, a main characteristic is just that she's so genuine and I think pure and like the fight fighting for good. Yes. And she stays in the shadows up until she really sees, Oh, Batman needs help now. Mm -hmm. And in which when it's in the, the first fight with the mutant leader, which we'll hop to next. And that's when she jumps, she jumps in basically saves him. Like I'll credit flat out. She saves him because otherwise the mutant leader would have, would have ended in there. And, uh, yeah, Batman, he, he wastes no time after that. And just uh, Bruce, <laughs> my name's Bruce. <laughs> What's your name? And then she, you know, she makes a sling for him and everything. And then she's just, she's just for along for the ride mm -hmm. from there. And I think getting just enough backstory of her off screen, uh, shitty yes. parents <laughs> definitely <laughs> makes us feel for her even more that you have somebody who does not have good role models in her life. And at mm -hmm. this age, like, She's on the road of like she's on a good path, even though she's got all of these uh, all of these hurdles and she still has a good head on her shoulders and stuff. And I think that's why she's a, a beloved character. Yeah, she has one role model mm -hmm. and, and, and it is Batman. I mean, literally on the page where Batman first appears and she's being interviewed, kind of the two panels where uh, Batman is descending, say it's a baptism. Yeah. She's looking up at Baptist at Batman on that page, uh, looking up at her hero literally. If you watch follow her eye line, uh, so it's uh, I mean Miller's saying a lot just with the the layout of a page there, mm -hmm. and uh, and honestly, her being so tiny makes Batman look all the more large and terrifying, larger than yeah. life and terrifying. <laughs> yep, uh... I mean, she barely comes up to his waist. <laughs> <laughs> That is delightful, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. And so, the uh, maybe the most jarring part of this book is the the mutant gang on mm -hmm. different levels, and especially the mutant leader. Mm -hmm. uh, something that was kind of fascinating to me was that uh, Miller had said that his his speech that he came up with for the mutant leader, uh, Lynn Varley. So the the colorist of the book and and Frank Miller's wife, Frank Miller's wife, still to this day or ex, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Ex. But at at the time, like they'd gotten married, and he said that he came up with the speech because Lynn Barley and her brothers spoke in such a unique unique way to each other and only to each other, and that <laughs> served as the basis for the mutant leader speak. And I'm like, holy moly, I want to be in a room listening to that. <laughs> It's so oh, she nasty. I'm Billy nasty. <laughs> uh, Ryan, don't shiv. I, I don't shiv, okay? Hi, my name is Don. Hi, my name is Ron. <laughs> but, Don and Robert, delightful. Uh, it's great. <laughs> the mutant leader is, is a, a monster. Yes. Uh, filed, filed teeth into mm -hmm. razor sharp uh teeth like his robert this is going to be weird to say but whatever the nipples are strange yes <laughs> the nipples are really weird and i don't i think I, anybody reading this note like that notices that pops right out i'm like this guy's nipples are something that's weird but he's basically like he's got claws he's big 
he's young and spry. Uh, Batman is, you know, older and weathered, which is why, and I think this is a, as much as I don't like it, it's needed for the story. Mm-hmm. Book two is about the mutants and Batman ending the mutants. And he confronts the mutant leader uh, and he hangs in there for probably a minute. And then things turn. Yes. Quickly. <laughs> and he and then Batman just totally gets his ass kicked, mm-hmm. which for some people listening might think, didn't that happen in the Dark Knight Rises? Oh, huh, how about that? <laughs> but what a coincidence. Yeah, it's crazy. And it serves well in this in for the story for a hero to rise, he has to fall. Yeah. And he falls here. But I I love that. I mean, Carrie Kelly is a huge part of the reason that that Batman's able to rise and he's able to recover. And then he comes back even stronger. He comes back Mm -hmm. uh, methodical. He has a plan on how he's going to take out the mutant leader. And And he executes it. He he does perfectly. (laughs) And my God. And I, I hear Peter Weller. Robocop himself. I hear him in this fight. And I mean, the, the intro of this damn show is mostly from the Dark Knight Returns animated movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally read that and hear the, this isn't a mud hole, it's an operating table and I'm the surgeon. Like, freaking hell. Yes! Just, ugh, so good. Yeah, that's a stand-up and cheer line. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Something tells me I should stop. I don't listen. (laughs) I want to go kick in a door. I need a door. Let me go kick in a closet around here. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's illustrated. It's illustrated. Well, it's colored. Well, it's definitely, it seems very messy, but I know that uh, I'm trying to find my note here on Klaus Jansen, he said they inked the mutant leader differently in the mud fight. He definitely wanted, even at times, for the mutant leader to be, to seem bigger than Batman himself. Because then he wanted readers to definitely get a sense that Batman could lose. Yeah. Um, I mean, reading it collected, like I have my whole life, I obviously, like, there's a lot of book left if he loses. So I just figured <laughs> he's going to win this one. Uh, but I mean, that makes total sense. And it's also, it's so, it's so funny, kind of like with all aspects of, of everything that we do in life of even the most, the smallest decisions and thoughts go into executing something like this is him just thinking, I'm going to color him a little differently or ink him a little differently to make him seem bigger so that hopefully it gives the, the threat that Batman could lose here. I mean, yeah, that's just in, in inking one, like one scene. Like, I don't know. It's stuff like that, that definitely in media, we can sit there and I mean, we, we dissect every possible angle of everything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's lots of things going on with the the mutant leader, but he's certainly being drawn larger than life, mm-hmm. and I I feel it's also Miller being a sponge of all things '80s and channeling him into this because I feel he's very much a, influenced by Lord Humongous from the Road Warrior, mm-hmm. um, and and just the mutants in general I feel are uh, influenced by uh, 
dystopian uh, science fiction movies and shows of the time and maybe heavy metal had something to do with it but i i feel like uh the road warrior is definitely in the mix somewhere uh for this with the violence but i mean maybe we should talk about the violence in the, of this book because I, okay. I feel that the one thing that we can say about it I, batman's always been a violent character he solved things with his fists a lot of the time but i this level of violence i i don't think we've ever seen in a batman book and i would i would say that it's literally bone crunching uh, yeah a lot of the time there splatters of blood uh in large sections of the book um people could die when batman gets in a fight uh, it, it's almost always a, well when he's fighting somebody trained it's a life or death struggle mm-hmm. when he's fighting somebody untrained well they're going to get hurt badly i mean it, the uh, there are seven defensible positions from this one, <laughs> and uh, one of them hurts. Is, uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. And yeah, and so it's funny to think about it at the time of how violent this seemed. And now you could say, like, oh, it's violent. It's almost a little bit more subtle in its violence in the sense of now, for some reason, we it, it's so funny to me in in like movies and tv because it seems like everybody's on the same length of we don't have to constantly see the gore it can be implied and mm-hmm. if you don't get that in depth with it like we can make it worse than what we're really seeing yeah. everybody seems to think that but then nobody follows up on that because then we see gore 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 so comics now we can see blood all over the place we see mm-hmm. like it, ex- extreme illustrations whereas here kind of like you said the we hear the bones crunching uh, the movie definitely uh, capsulates on the, of of we have crack and crack and crunch and stuff, and we hear those sound effects here, and and I mean, it's implied in the mutant the mutant fight. We see the the, I mean, it's not a crowbar; it's like a rod, but it seems like it's a crowbar. Hits Batman in the back once, but then, I I mean, the actual panels of impact. There's two. Yes. on the page but we get the idea of what's happening and it is like oh man that's brutal i mean one it's, it looks like batman just like he's puking blood i mean when he gets hit it's like <laughs> whoa damn no batman no but yeah this is a it's a violent book and i think that comes with like the with its power for sure yeah of uh which translates well to the animated movie i think yeah i mean it, it, i i think it, it also goes to the skill of uh miller and jansen as artists because I, mm-hmm. I feel that there, there's always a weight behind every punch or kick or whatever that's thrown in this. Uh, every shot feels it has maximum impact. There's, there's weight uh, to all these characters. Maybe, maybe Miller draws everybody a little bit wider and heavier <laughs> than you would customarily think, but I feel that it translates to uh, when, when uh, things hit, they hit hard. <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect. Perfect segue into another point that I wanted to talk about briefly um, is Frank Miller's art mm-hmm. overall, not just the violent parts. Robert's always thinking about violence. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> Love <he> and violence. <laughs> <laughs> Miller said that, you know, Dick Sprang's art played a, a factor in his Batman design because he wanted to go with the more, you know, the square shoulder, bigger build. And once that clicks, that too becomes like, oh my gosh, yeah, Dick Sprang. I mean, and, yeah. and then and then you think of 
And even Bob Kane. Even old Bobby. Good old yeah. Bobby. Um, and then you can see Bruce, like you see the relationship to Batman in the animated series and Bruce Tim. Bruce Tim came from the Max Fleischer. It has to be some some Dark Knight Returns influence on Tim for his designs for the animated series as well. So, I mean, all that makes total sense. The most jarring, uh, confusing angle of the art is to me i mean compare this book and this is why i always thought for the longest time that klaus jansen was the artist on this book because i think that the art in the dark knight returns is so different from frank miller's art and everything else and to emphasize that point is you look at the cover to book two and how different that is to anything I think that we see with like within the book. And so I just, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Because I think you look at Dark Knight Strikes again, that's Frank Miller. And that is a totally different looking book in every yeah. regard. And so well, I'm just curious, like what, <laughs> what's the story behind that? Well, I, I can't say precisely everything that's going on with Frank Miller. I, I, I certainly agree that uh, Frank Miller's style when he's uninked by Jansen has a, has a different look to it. Uh, I mean, the, the raw bones are there and I, I feel that the ideas are there. I mean, we, we talked about the cover of uh, book two. I mean, this is a beat up Batman that can barely be contained by the cover. Um, I mean, he, he's, he's looking to burst out of that cover. I feel that's a part of what Frank Miller is saying. The Batman's so big, he can't even be contained by this book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely Klaus Janssen plays a, a very important role in the art of the story. Um, I will say that Frank Miller is also kind of experimenting. And I, I feel that Frank Miller never had really one set style. Uh, he he was always constantly evolving. I mean, his, his Daredevil stuff was much more realistic uh, than uh, Dark Knight Returns, which I I was say fair is heavily influenced by Dick Sprang and other cartoony artists. I, I mean, I feel that Miller is embracing being partly a political cartoonist in this book too, in various ways, and I feel that goes to the drawing of celebrities. Uh, or parodies of celebrities that he incorporates into the book, mm-hmm. um, but I f- I feel that uh, like some sometime in the early '80s he discovered uh, Japanese comics and Lone Wolf and Cub, and you can see that in Ronin. Uh, and then he further evolving in Dark Knight Returns, and by the time the '90s roll around, and he gets to an extreme graphic style of Sin City, um, which also kind of draws uh, from. Uh, parts of a uh, cartoon history because I I feel that uh, uh, the yellow bastard is certainly a reference to uh, the 1900s era uh, newspaper cartoon the yellow kid uh, so I, I feel that's what Frank Miller's doing and then he evolve even further into what he does in 300 it's like no two two of his books look the same uh-huh. and I I feel that's something he wants to do now i feel his art has gone downhill quite a bit right around when 2000 rolled around but (laughs) 
between between uh, 1980 and uh, uh, 2000, I, I think Miller was one of the most exciting uh, artists out there, simply because his art would evolve and change with the times. And honestly, it changes from book one to book four. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And uh, but what doesn't really change is his sense of layout and knowing that he goes from like this these tiny 16 panel grid pages to these enormous splash pages yeah that all packing in in uh a big impact when you turn the page even when they are kind of disturbing like uh batman gritting like a maniac when he jumps out of the bat tank to take out the leader yeah hey! <laughs> <laughs> he's ready to roll which we also i'm ready gave, to roll yeah <laughs> this gave the I mean, it's, it's one comment, but also I feel like maybe it's just because of the state of, uh, I don't know, I don't know, of, of um, comics and dissecting and everything that really the past few years is where a lot of this has started to really stick. Um, but kind of like I said, with it seems like for a long time, people weren't um, putting together the Jason Todd angle. The same thing with how miller says when he gets shot in the in the oval hashtag team yellow oval peter vera (laughs) why do you think i wear a target on my chest yeah Uh, it's one one line but now it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good one that people now are like it's becoming much more uh acknowledged it's on uh uh, it's it's simple it makes sense (laughs) yeah 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 uh, on instinct to be like oh yeah it's because the yellow oval is a you know it's a it's a target, target. Know, <laughs> it, and it, it makes sense it's cool i like it uh, well done frank miller the guy's got talent yes <laughs> he's done some things um let's move along to to book three. Oh, the joker <laughs> the joker uh there's in some of my books and i don't know if this is truly if this is true they said it that that it was the first like acknowledgement of basically Joker's reliance on Batman. There's been way too many. I haven't read all the Batman Joker stories. I'll admit it. I haven't read every single one. Uh, I, I feel like that's quite a claim to make. It is a claim. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I would say it's the first. I mean, there's, there's certainly stories beforehand that kind of, uh, delved into their relationship i i would say this is the one that really opened the the floodgates on uh batman uh feeling maybe not guilt but responsibility for what uh for the games they're playing and the endless cycle of violence that that he seems unable to end yeah i don't know but it's, I mean, it. I, I like it. I can't it. really think of a story earlier that really delves into it like this yeah, one does. Because Joker is is comatose a little bit in Arkham until he sees that Batman returns and then he smiles. This is Bat, buh, 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 like remembering how to speak again. Like just as is the, uh, yeah, the bat That's is his, alive uh... in Batman, the clown wakes up within the Joker when he sees that Batman's back. It, it, and then it's the relationship that, all of us yeah. know and love between Batman and Joker of Joker is Batman's number one fan. It what it yeah. gives him life. 
Uh, yes, it does. I mean, his hair even turns more vibrantly green mm. in those panels. Well, it's because off screen he went to the local <laughs> five and dime and got some got some dye. Um, so this reference here, so he was Joker was designed as David Bowie in the Thin White Duke period. I would agree. What is and Thin I, White? I would also Duke? say that the David Bird. And the white suit from Stop Making Sense uh, play a okay. role in his appearance. <laughs> gotcha. The thin white duke. Interesting. <laughs> um, it's it's funny because this is one story and we talk about the legacy and the impact, but this look of the Joker is instantaneous on Dark Knight Returns Joker. Yep. It is instant recognizability of we know we know what story this is from yeah by that look of the joker yeah i feel this is the first time they ever really got joker out of the purple tuxedo yeah 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 yeah. and he feels i mean he feels like the joker and it's asinine totally asinine that dr wolper it it, (laughs) this is a dipshit and it's like he doesn't know what he's talking about (laughs) And he just serves a whole studio audience up on a platter mm-hmm. for Joker. Oh, and it's, to be fair, he, they didn't have to book him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know, like, I, I do love, this is the strength, which I really think that DC has found now, especially with their limited, uh, with their miniseries through Black Label that anything is on the table if you're just doing its own universe stories. Mm-hmm. So therefore, with this being its own universe, this is one of the scariest Jokers. I'll say yeah. even still today. Yeah, he's he's not messing around. I mean, the, and they established his menace early. Uh, I mean, even in prison, he asked what kind of bombs and started yeah. messing with Batman. Yeah. And the, I mean, yes, we know the David Endocrine show also total, you totally got those vibes watching Joker in 2019. Uh, I mean, that plot in itself, which it's, it is infuriating too. And I think it's another angle and that Miller capitalized on then that I think can be relatable now of Batman could have prevented this from happening but the police put more attention and focus on Batman than the Joker and look at the outcome. I, you know, I don't know if it mm-hmm. said what, like 30 something people were killed. I think just in the studio audience, Joker gets away. He goes to, I mean, he goes to Kyle escorts. Um, he's very rude to Selena. And, yes. <laughs> but then he goes to the fair and handing out oh, the cotton worse. candy to the kids. And, you just get the one frame and this is where it's like the violence part, like you mentioned earlier, but it's a little bit more subtle is you see that one, that one panel and the kids that eating the cotton candy are all just laying there. And you just know, you know what happened. And it's like, that's wow. Like, have we seen Joker that demented prior or since, you know, I mean, kids, it's like, that's a new level of, depravity and how yeah. 
this Joker isn't enjoyable. Like we, at this point, we want, we can feel the anger with Batman too. We, we want this to be the last fight because we want the Joker done. Cause this is just, this is uh, the worst that he's been. And then as he's running through the fair and he's just, just shooting, uh, he gets a battering in the eye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a shocking image. With that yeah. First, yeah. And he just like, it's like, yeah, he's like, oh, because he got, you know, got hit in the eyeball with the battering. But then he's just still on his rampage. And I mean, this is a hell of a fight and one scary ass ending, I think. Oh, it is I, creepy. I... It's unsettling. It's the the haha. And yet I think it is inked and colored perfectly, especially Joker's last panel where the, the one right before the two shot of him and that he's totally dead and it's just his face cloned in and he's got like so like it's menacing it's oh man it's like an evil son of a bitch joker but this is like this is done so well yeah i mean maybe we should also give some credit to john costanza who did the lettering george's I- dad I'm just kidding. Sorry. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm stupid. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I, I, feel like, I mean, this is, I mean, Dark Knight Returns with a, uh, a trailblazing book and it uh, broke a lot of uh, rules and standards. I mean, thought balloons had been on their way out, but I feel this is one of the last uh, nails in the coffin of thoughts yeah. balloons. Um, but I, I feel that uh, it certainly embraced, it embraced the the graphic sound effects. Yeah. And, uh, both with the ha-ha-has that are get larger and get closer to you and even overlap the panels and with the, the cracking of the neck. I feel that uh, it, it kind of uh, is an impressive bit there that, that plays uh, well with it. But I agree that the, the, the death of the Joker is a, a really great panel. Mm-hmm. Even the even the part I like too is uh, the Joker kind of playing possum until all the witnesses are gone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, then speak it up, yeah. The and the Joker he wins. Like if you think about, it, he wins because he like he you know he sets he just he sets him up, kills himself, laughs, and then it's like when they get there, and then you see like the. Is it uh they say first degree murder was added, the charge was added. Mm-hmm. Which uh, which they would get an easy conviction on. <laughs> yeah. And so like that's that's damning too. And just such the focus on on Batman. And again, that is kind of <sighs> the Dark Knight rises in how they send the whole Gotham police force after Batman. And it's like the dude's the hero. Oh, meanwhile, let Bane go, the guy who's gonna ultimately take off, like take over the entire city. Yeah. <laughs> and you let him go because you're like, we're gonna get Batman. So I, the the Joker here, it's one of the strongest Joker interpretations of any of the books that I've read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and the, yeah, it, it is a it is a very strong. He's not as fun here as he is in other appearances. No, no, not he's, at all. He's pure pure evil here. You're excited I would like to... to bring up one thing, though. Um, sure. I mean, he doesn't laugh until that last page. There, he he's pure 
I mean, uh, he cracks a smile now and then, mm-hmm. but no laughs, no anything. He kind of is serious. I feel that this is a deliberate callback to the first uh, Joker story in Batman number one by Bill Finger, okay. where he doesn't laugh until the end, until he uh, stabs himself and thinks he's going to die. And then he nice. finds the most hilarious joke in the world. Good call. See, this is why the people want Robert Reinecke on the show. <laughs> now everybody will go read Batman number one. That's the people, people doing this, the statistics for DC Universe Infinite will be like, wow, we had quite the spike in Batman number one readings. <laughs> people are really people are really feeling that. Awesome. Uh, and then kind of lastly uh, is the big, the big battle with Superman. Now, before that though, I'll say that I do think every time that I read this, I think book four lags in that front half. The chase of Batman getting out of the uh, the tunnel of love, mm-hmm. uh, get, escaping the police, I think is good. But then I I think that I don't know it it just lags a little bit for me setting up our our grand finale. Yeah, I and, I, I feel that. They, they don't tie in Cordo Martiz with uh, Gotham well enough. I mean, they eventually do. And I think there's some really strong parts uh, mm-hmm. once the nuke goes off. But I, I feel that this, this kind of, um, once we establish Batman's getting away, right, there's, there's not a whole lot going on there. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, not I mean, if they're not going to kill him off, uh, that... I mean, he, he get, he's been beaten up before, so it's uh, I think Miller's kind of pulling the same trick twice mm-hmm. after the mutant leader and after uh, uh, the Joker. Um, we're just going to recover <laughs> and put, it on, put on that costume and go out again. Well, and like you said, you can make sense of, especially the Corte Maltese stuff, of you can eventually see its inclusion and the the reasoning for you know Gotham's uh, without power and now it's snowing for the fight between Batman and and Superman and you can be like oh yeah it's because the the nuke and Corda Maltese all, all that stuff but I just do think that that all of that for the pacing issue that that does just slow it down a little bit. That being said, uh, do we all go back to this when we say? Batman's the best hero because he kicked Superman's ass, right? <laughs> I would be I, mad <laughs> as Superman fans at the time if he was my hero. And then reading this story and it's there were bad little... Superman fans at the time. <laughs> okay. Well, they were getting they were getting John Burns Superman's uh run. So they're they're okay. Okay, they were being <laughs> dealt well. But it's Miller is funny in how he says that he didn't think that Batman and Superman would be that good of friends. <laughs> uh which is which is funny but yeah the i love the battle because i'm not gonna lie growing up i was (laughs) anti-superman i was like batman's the best and then when i finally got my hands on this book and read it i'm like see it's it's true (laughs) uh but the fight between the two and i mean he really plays superman as a quite a quite a puppet and uh yeah, for, I for the of, most part until the end. Until the end, yes. And and it's funny because it's like, oh my gosh, that's the part that I love Superman the most. Is the 
the wink, the wink, the, <laughs> the wink, and it's like, yeah, see, there you are. <laughs> You're Bruce's friend because he will do what you can't do. Uh, in which you see this in this in the fight between the two, which it's interesting that that is the part. I mean, it, it can definitely play as a metaphor. I I think mm-hmm. if you're, re- I don't want to say if you're reaching, because the hints are there. You know that this is a this is a political book, uh, but you get this big page of Batman just kicking Superman in the face, and being the representation of what Superman is for America and what Batman is representing, and that's almost a little bit like anti-establishment sort of at least that's how Mm -hmm. i could see that's bleeding through the pages whether miller intended that or not that's kind of how i got it and then reading more interviews with miller and how this interpretation of of superman and stuff to me that definitely seems possible that that was the angle he was going for sure and and i i feel that there's some some urban violent bias i feel that uh batman is definitely an urban hero Mm -hmm. and superman representing kansas uh, yeah, that I feel that Miller is 100% a New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, I I do love the image in that fight, and it's referenced earlier when Bruce is first in Batmobiles, or when Batman, there we go, is in the Batmobile for the first time, and he he says, "The only thing that can." get through this isn't from this planet um and then okay i'm not getting it confused it's definitely a panel but i can't find it where superman splits open and carries there with her slingshot with her slingshot why can't i see that panel there it is okay found it uh i love that (laughs) (laughs) i just i love that she's got her slingshot because damn it if she's going down she's going down swinging (laughs) <laughs> another very likable characteristic of the character uh, but overall i mean this is this suit of batman's is i mean just like the joker like this obviously is instant oh dark knight returns yep <laughs> uh i think looked awesome in live action for batman versus superman i agree uh, i i mean look that's exactly page to screen <laughs> panel the screen i think that is exactly um perfect uh yeah so i guess overall what did you, what do you think what are your thoughts on the superman batman battle i mean it, it's it's ob- it's obviously iconic it's yeah i recall this is the first time batman ever beat superman in a fight they've never been okay. fought uh too often in the past because it was obvious who would win <laughs> Yeah. Even when they bring up, would bring out the kryptonite, uh, Superman was still uh, DC's number one hero. Number one guy. Sorry, go on. <laughs> for, for almost 50 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel that this is certainly Miller saying, no, no, Batman's your number one hero. And here's why. Um, I mean, certainly, it's, I think all of the fights, all of the major fights in this book are super well choreographed by Miller. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're all memorable. I mean, the mutant leader fight and certainly the, the mutant leader and uh, Batman in the mud hole at the end, super well choreographed. Mm-hmm. You know why every punch is being thrown and 
why why everything is going and it flows very well. I mean, there there are big images like Batman rising up out of the mud hole or Batman with his first punch on Superman knocking him yeah. off his feet. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, and certainly Batman versus the Joker in the amusement park is a, a classic uh, sequence too. Um, yep. So I mean, part part of it is just the skill of Miller as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is also what these two characters represent, uh, which I I feel that the, they are the two archetypes uh, at DC. Uh, everything else kind of falls in between the two of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, I feel that those two punching out, and maybe the the cynical '80s are winning over the <laughs> more optimistic 1930s at this point <laughs> or 60s. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, a new a new era a new dawn a dawn of the dark night i don't know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, and and of course it's being in crime alley is, is yes poetic is poetic perfect yes. he was uh, born there everything. he quote unquote dies there <laughs> yeah and i think that's a really that's an original idea and a unique and i think that's a great idea of batman takes himself out Mm-hmm. plans everything we haven't talked much about alfred but it's because we just knew that we're not going to be able to touch on everything alfred's uh, great <laughs> alfred's fantastic in this um although he does he does not fitting. remember the plot of the purling letter uh, it's alfred. a that's a blackmail story not a murder story <laughs> <laughs> oh you could slip that past robert did you frank <laughs> uh Al- but yeah i mean it's it's sad um, but fitting his end to the story. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, but yeah, I feel that, yeah. Alfred dies with Wayne Manor too is is very fitting. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's, all of it is just a great ending. And then even like you said, Carrie is there at Bruce's funeral when he comes in, when the heartbeat stop, or starts and Clark and the wink and Carrie's there by his side. And then the way that the book the way that the book ends i mean that completes the full arc like you kind of said of you got one man and i love yindel uh captain yindel when she even says if he's too big and i think that just that's the story over these four books is how one man like he does change everything his and you can take that really you can really read into that if you want to mm-hmm. if you want to say like oh what kind of change can i make this is a comic book i understand yeah but batman is perfectly is presented as larger than life here in yeah. more ways than one but quite literally with how he's drawn <laughs> exactly but i mean actions have ramifications and it could be a domino effect of goodness by writing wrongs and stuff from which he comes back and he just he changes the trajectory of gotham city and then uh, now he's gonna you know he's gonna continue on which we won't you know at this point like oh he's gonna work from the underground so tell me with that when this book ended in 1986 what what was that like in the sense of rumors that there was going to be a follow-up nope this is the end of that story do you remember any there were rumors something something of this this successful Mm -hmm. that set this many this sold so so much and made frank miller a rich man yeah was there were people that wanted to continue it and uh 
Frank Miller had some ideas. I've been he and uh, Alan Moore and Howard Chaykin and the like all had a falling out with DC around uh, 1988 or 1990 when uh, uh, DC. Uh, canceled an issue of Swamp Thing uh, by Rick Veach when uh, uh, Swamp Thing was going to meet Jesus, uh, mm-hmm. apparently because uh, they were afraid of uh, being protested by uh, uh, the religious right in a similar manner as uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. And all of these artists said, well, that you okayed it, and then you back out of it. If you don't have the courage, then you don't need us. Because uh, we want to do things that are edgy. Uh, we don't want to be censored after the fact or before the fact either. Um, so that put basically any idea for a follow-up on hold for a decade. And then mm-hmm. eventually Frank Miller and Howard Chaykin and the like, everybody except Alan Moore got over it. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, there, there were rumors. Uh, I mean, Frank Miller kind of floated a few of them too about having a uh, a follow-up that's going to be like uh, lots of capes and uh, action and we kind of got it in Dark Knight Strikes again although it obviously very sloppy and not really well well put together fashion sure uh, is there I mean there's a lot but is there one thing I kind of think okay Instead of me just asking, is there anything else you want to bring up? I'm going to get to this part because we have a couple of comments and questions that I think touch on things we haven't discussed. So um, I want to hop into some favorites real quick. Okay. So Mr. Reineke, do you, what is your favorite part of the Dark Knight Returns? Well, I mean, there's so many great parts, but <laughs> I still think it is the return, uh, specifically Boom. that one panel of Batman coming down from the heights to jump onto that car. Uh, mm-hmm. that's that's speeding away and with the the talking heads talking about batman and batman saying it's a baptism and carrie looking up at her hero literally i that might be one of miller's best images of batman and mm-hmm. the dialogue just sings on that page and uh yeah i think that's that is my favorite part if i'm just gonna narrow it down <laughs> that's my favorite part too uh that from when he I mean, I can hear the music from the animated movie uh, mm-hmm. illustrated per- or created perfectly by Christopher Drake. But when he comes across Zorro, Zorro on TV into flashback of his parents, into flipping to the TVs, into trying to get outside uh, with the storm, knocking over the statue, all the way through the bat crashing through the window, and then Batman returns. Uh, I love that. I love all of that. That's my favorite. Period. Absolutely. It promises a grand adventure. Yeah. And it delivers. <laughs> it's all like, all right, here we go. The Dark Knight has returned. The title was not just creative. It's true. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really take all, all that long either. <laughs> as, Wayne, uh, as Wayne Campbell would say, oh, so it's not just a clever name. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel that... Uh, one of the things that I like is that all of these issues are self-contained stories in and of themselves. They are. They're they're chapters, which feel like, yeah. I'm not going to try and act like I'm coming up with something new. Fully agree with what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> How about a favorite panel? Oh, man. 
<laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to pick one of the splash pages. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely like to see talk about Batman leaping out of that uh, bat tank. Um, boy, I should have I should have been prepared. I know how this goes. <laughs> I'll tell you mine, and okay. I've, this is bending the rules a little bit. Uh, we're we're little Carrie Kellys ourselves here on the Batman Book Club, okay? <laughs> bending the rules, good soldier. Uh, mine is the cover to book one. Oh, that's a hell of a... Yes, that, I mean, that is great. That is iconic and for a reason. It's rare that I do pick covers for stories, but I, I just feel like I... I justify and that's my pick when that's the image I think of with the Dark Knight Returns. I think of that cover. I just, I love that image. I think it's great. Perhaps the simplest drawing for the whole story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, it's perfect. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn Varley colors the hell out of that. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm thinking that my favorite panel is actually kind of a trick okay. uh, panel. It's where uh, uh, Bruce finally kind of starts to snap and knocks over a statue in his yeah. uh, uh, Wayne Manor and the the windows in the background kind of blend into the 16 panel grid as because uh, I feel that's like that kind of sums up uh, Frank Miller's storytelling for me that he's playing graphically with the form while telling the story at the same time um, mm. so I, I feel nice. that's I mean it's it's not like one of the most striking images, uh -huh. but I, I feel it speaks to how Frank Miller is approaching this uh, book as an art challenge and mm -hmm. rising to that challenge. Nice. Uh, now that I would say... Oh, I should say I also like Batman uh, stomping on the pimp's hand and uh, breaking the glass of the taxi group. Uh, Ooh, you can, you can feel that, can't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> This would now be where I'd say, would you like to see this adapted, animated, in animation, in which we would say uh, it has, and by yeah, it has did a terrific it, job, a few times. Uh, there's the the segment in the Batman the Animated Series or the New Adventures of Batman. Uh, yeah, Legends, Legends of, the, of Dark the Dark Knight. They do a section that's that nods to this, in which it's uh, Michael Ironside. Yes, and. It's it's great. Uh, in the Batman cartoon, there's an episode called Artifacts, and it it takes place in the future. I don't know if you've seen this one. It takes place I in the future. Not. Ooh, that's a great one. Uh, it's on HBO Max, Robert. I highly recommend it because uh, it's way in the future, and police uh, find their way into the Batcave, and then it does like a flashback of like one of the the last fights, and then. It's heavily Dark Knight Returns, but it's kind of its own thing as well. And that's awesome. But then obviously everybody will think of the animated movie, The Dark Knight Returns, which was released in two different parts uh, that had Peter Weller as the voice of Batman. Christopher Drake was the, uh, the guy who did the music. And it's one of my favorite scores, period. I think it is such an awesome score. Uh, tweeted that out, actually. 
last week and Christopher Drake uh, commented. So no big deal. And I feel Peter Weller is a great casting choice too, because yeah. RoboCop is so obviously influenced by the Dark Knight Returns that it's like the wheel turning around on itself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice call. Uh, Jay Oliva directed it. Uh, Michael Emerson did the voice of Joker, which I think was great. Uh, yeah. I just think, I think that, and it, and it's still, to some people to many actually it's their favorite of the dc animated movies uh it's definitely one of the best batman not just animated movies but i think one of his best movies and yeah i think i think they knocked it out of the park with that movie yeah. that movie is awesome and they and they got an art style that actually kind of captures the art of the dark, dark yeah cards. yeah and they were able I give to give extra credit for that <laughs> yeah they weren't following their their lines of everything has to look the same they they made it just different enough, which was really respectful to the source material and the, uh, the look of the source material. And so, yeah, and that's that's really applauded. And so right, do more of that if you can, DC, because uh, I know everybody's listening. <laughs> uh, I shine the bat signal out for this, uh, Mr. Reinecke, because I, you know, if anybody had any questions or comments and some people did. Yes, you've got a question? Uh, there's one point that we haven't touched on yet, but there's a question about it. And you probably know what I'm talking about and we'll get there. But first off, Ricky Church, he said, obviously the Dark Knight Returns was revolutionary for its time and brought Batman back to his darker roots. But do you think writers and directors now have relied too heavily on it given how much Batman has evolved in the comics since then? Well, they I'll let you answer first. too heavily on it. <laughs> you think so, for sure? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think I would agree too. Uh, I wouldn't say people have picked up the wrong lessons, but I mean, as much as, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of Batman versus Superman. I actually do like that movie quite a bit. Uh, the, all, it seems just like all of the Batman influences there are Dark Knight Returns come to life. That's kind of the case of, I think of you just took one thing and used it whereas you could look at dark knight rises as a movie used multiple batman things as a bit of an influence but still kind of did your own thing with it uh and i do think Uh so like the media stuff too uh that they use it's like there's just mimics of it afterward uh instead of utilizing it in the way you know not saying that others have to utilize it the exact way that Miller did, but he used it as an instrument for his whole, in his storytelling, you know, as a tool where others just mocked it and thought we'll have the same, the same uh, effect and reaction. So I, I do agree with you that I think, and it's not Frank Miller's fault. It's not the fault of the story or anything. It's the, the like perfection is already there do not try and duplicate it, learn the strengths and maybe mm-hmm. some of the, you know, the, the swings and misses and think, okay, this could have been, this could have worked if this was, okay, let's use that and put our own spin on it rather than just try to duplicate it. Yeah. And I feel that, uh, um, I mean, part of me wants a moratorium on uh, Dark Knight Returns, but uh, uh-huh. also part of me would be totally psyched if Carrie Kelly showed up in the, the flash with michael keaton uh so yeah yeah <laughs> but i mean that'd be i, I kind of feel that they're, they're not 
following through if they're going to take from it you, you need to do it just as well because people yeah. will, will notice it and point out i feel that the dark knight returns kind of drops the ball in the final fight between bane and batman by not having it as uh smart and tactical as batman versus the mutant leader at the end gotcha. and i i feel that uh bvs uh Martha is not no substitute to uh, Batman's uh, faking his own death after the climax of uh, Dark Knight uh, gotcha. Returns either. And gotcha. uh, I feel in, in certain ways, it, it's kind of like they're, they're not taking full advantage of what's been laid out before them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they have to tell their own story, but maybe then you don't have to use uh, Frank Miller's work mm-hmm. um, or you need to rise to the challenge. Uh, yeah people you will be compared (laughs) absolutely uh and this actually lines up perfectly with a question that uh friend of the show tim rennie asks and he says has it done more harm than good when it comes to both the audience and creators perceive batman uh this instantly made me think of and i've come across this a lot where it's almost like the dark knight returns it did just as uh, it's almost like damn it for being so good because it launched uh, mimicry. Mm-hmm. That's not the Dark Knight Returns as fault. That's no. talents. That's writers and artists and uh, suits, if you will. That's their fault because they're just learning the wrong lesson. Yeah. So I don't think that that it's not the book's fault because it's like, oh, okay, so are you saying that it should have never come out? Cause then you wouldn't have had copycats of it. And I don't, I, I, I just hear that with a lot of stuff these days. And I think I'm really kind of against that, that thought, because I think it's invalid. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly people have taken the wrong lessons from dark that returns and Watchmen. I mean, they're, they're forever going to be linked. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's, there's certainly been tons of good stuff that came out of both of them too. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, you could trace a direct line from uh dark net returns, the greedy all the longbow hunters, mm-hmm. uh, oh, can, Mike Grell. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> I, I feel the question, uh, by Denny O'Neill is certainly somebody taking the right lessons mm-hmm. from, uh, the dark net returns and, uh, there, there are plenty of good uh, adult, uh, well, I'll, I'll use grim and gritty, not as a pejorative, just, just as an adjective, uh, books that arose out of the Dark Knight Returns. And uh, mm-hmm. certainly it gave Miller the freedom to do a bunch of stuff that he wanted to do. I don't know if there's Sin City, if uh, Dark Knight Returns isn't a big hit, because mm-hmm. who is... Uh, by crime comics in uh, the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, so I mean, it certainly was good for Miller. Uh, it was certainly good for the direct market. I, I feel that brought in a slew of new customers for the direct market. And yeah, that eventually and- eventually went downhill, and I feel that we're in need of something to reinvent comics, and it's probably going to be on the internet. Uh, I don't know how it's going to be, but it'll probably come out in the next ten years or so. I I definitely want to make sure that I clarify. Tim knows this, but in no way was that like me 
being like, shut the hell up, Rooney, uh, <laughs> or anything like that. I totally get his question. I think that because I, I think in the, in the end, I didn't even answer the question, but I think that it did uh, more good than bad, obviously, because it definitely for all the reasons that we've sung its praises uh, the past near two hours. Also, the book like it elevated. It's always good when you do have something that that comes along, knocks us on our ass because it's like, OK, we have to up our game now. Yeah. So the, the medium itself, it's like, we got this, we kind of got a little bit of a life raft here at DC because we elevated the material. We need to continue to elevate it now. Expectations are mm-hmm. high. We've got to challenge ourselves. And I think through that, that is what, that is kind of what I think Dark Knight Returns did for yeah. the book. And there are comics before it came out, like in the eighties and the seventies and stuff that, that were really good. And I have them read them and everything, but I think mm-hmm. that's where the, the positive impact for yeah. sure came along i mean dark knight returns is an industry changing event yeah so um i mean and you can still see the effects today i mean you can just look at the glossy paper and sophisticated coloring and the high price yeah uh of books and i feel the like dark knight returns has a, had a uh a factor in all of that but somebody was going to do an adult comic based on batman sooner or later miller just made it sooner um mm-hmm. It might have been Alan Moore because I, I feel that uh, the killing joke would have happened uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, I, I feel that there there is some debate whether these characters are really designed uh, for adult uh, readers and sophistication and commentary. But I, I feel that uh, Miller answered it in the affirmative. Not mm-hmm. everybody answers it in the affirmative. <laughs> Oh, let's see. We've got a, a couple more here. A couple of comments. BJ Shea says the best part is how it builds up, takes out Two-Face, beats down the mutants, is finally done with Joker and ends with him fighting a god. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> no, <laughs> well it's, done. It's, it's, it's structured great. Mm-hmm. There, there's, it, it, it understands escalation perfectly. Yeah. And it executes it perfectly. <laughs> yep. Agreed. Uh, JJ Hodges, a friend of the show, he he says, I love that the Joker barely smiles throughout the story. It makes him so much scarier. A point that you brought up, uh, Robert. Yeah. Uh, Paul Shanley says there's a lot of talk about it being overrated, but the reality is better or worse that this book grabbed the Batman mythos by the throat and has refused to let go for the last 35 years. There isn't a more influential Batman story. I was heated, but then he said the long Halloween is catching up. OK, I get it. He said my personal <laughs> my personal favorite um carlos also a friend of the show look at all these friends he says is it overrated or a relic of 80s ideas approaches and ideas that may actually hold the character in a contemporary space for the record i don't think it's overrated i do however think folks place an inappropriate weight to it as what the prototypical batman is so i mean i agree that uh dark knight returns should be viewed as an extreme version of batman yeah and it, sh- it should not be your everyday status quo <laughs> the, uh, the 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 fact that it takes place that at the time period this was batman's last case last hurrah mm-hmm. most batman comics that we have coming out deal way before we get to that point so i think yeah as you said like an extreme um version yeah. of batman i i think uh we Batman gets to that point. He's not at that point his whole time as Batman. No. So I don't think that Dark Knight Returns Batman should be Batman in year four. 
Yeah, I mean, year year one Batman is not as cynical as no. Dark Knight Returns Batman. He's not as pent up. He's more idealistic. Yeah. Um, so there's a continuum, and uh, I, I I feel that for for most Batman stories, he should be nearer the year one part of the continuum than the Dark Knight Returns part of the continuum. But I mean, I I feel its its influence is well earned and mm-hmm. uh i mean part of it is we we can kind of get to the debate is whether any book is uh dated i mean certainly dark Knight returns is a product of its time there's no question that it's an 80s book um and uh i i feel that miller was using the pop culture of the 80s to comment on it and certainly i think the political satire of it is well it, it certainly has some uh timelessness it's uh certainly uh um uh has uh uh some specific dates i mean reagan is the president in the book (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and uh i mean miller has more things on his mind i don't don't think we we necessarily spoke about the the cca so much and how much that uh dr wolper Mm -hmm. i feel is in Miller taking shots at Dr. Frederick Wortham and the yeah. CCA and parents groups. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I feel this is Miller saying this is what Batman is like if there was no CCA and parents groups and he would just totally unleashed and I'm unleashed and this is what we could do with the media. Yeah. Uh, agreed. We got a couple left. You, you good? You still good, Robert? I'm still good. Okay. Uh, we're going to do this. This is, uh, this is just a comment, but this is classy Ulysses says hello guys first time writing an email to you guys but been a listener about a full year awesome thanks for listening the dark knight returns was my first comic book that i ever purchased because it was the lead up to batman vs superman uh the movie itself was a disappointment including the ultimate cut so there's that okay i love reading the book the art the dialogue and the action there are some many great panels to choose from but my favorite is when batman faces the mutant leader during the second round at the mud puddle then this fight alone made me love this book plus seeing it in animated form was even better Ever since reading the book, I've been reading tons of Batman comics and I've became a big fan of Batman. Batman the Dark Knight Returns is a spectacular story and changed Batman from the campy and corny character to the dark and brooding. Frank Miller is a genius until I read Dark Knight Strikes Again and I was like, what happened? <laughs> I owned a different, uh, yeah, I own different. Oh, 9-11 types of, happened. <laughs> yes, there you go. Uh, I own different types of the format of the Dark Knight Returns. I have the trade paperback, the hardcover, the deluxe edition, absolute edition, gallery edition, slipcase box set, and the 10th anniversary box set that includes scripts, sketch, and press. That's the version I want. Um, hope you guys have a good one and keep reading Batman comics, Ulysses. You know what? Thanks for thanks for writing the the email. I just sometimes it's cool to just hear stories and comments. And what happened? Dark Knight Strikes Again. <laughs> uh, Ulysses, I'll say um, the campy and corny character uh they're the run from denny o'neill and neil adams and then do uh read the Engelhart strange rogers. apparitions Engelhart yep. and rogers read those because that's a little bit um pre frank miller post campy and corny and those are that that's some good stuff too yeah uh, Heck, read, read the first year or so of uh bill finger bob kane and jerry robinson batman there you go yeah um, I get his point. Definitely. I totally understand. Uh, there, it just seems like maybe there's a little bit of 
Batman material that you can explore for the first time. And you'll see that, Ooh, this is also some more in the history of the character. Maybe this was the, you know, the started to lay the groundwork to where we eventually got to the dark Knight returns. Um, but cool. Nonetheless, uh, Jacob Miller asked, do you think the amount of text compared to other books is a turnoff for some readers? Ooh, <laughs> I'm the wrong guy to ask. I, <laughs> I just did a 50 episode podcast, uh, Alan Moore swap thing. And, and that's a wordy <laughs> book. I don't really feel that this is that wordy a book. I think the, okay. the 16 panels make it dense. Yeah. But the words per panel, I don't, I don't feel is that, uh, uh, depends on the mood yeah. i i honestly i do believe that because i even i even commented on that earlier in our recording of sometimes my mood it can seem like ah I, there's a lot of, of those you know talking heads here other times like this time reading the book i loved it yeah. so definitely I mean, it's a dense book mm-hmm. i mean there's a 16 panel grid's gonna be a lot of panels per page <laughs> a lot of panels uh thanks for the question jacob javi friend of the show hello javi uh, have the multitude of sequels and prequels diminished the original four-part story for you? Most, if not all, have failed to recapture the magic. So post-Dark Knight has been Dark Knight Strikes Again. There's been Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. There was The Last Crusade. And there's The Golden Child. The Golden Child, I did not read. And I have not heard anything that says I should. Although I yeah. will someday because I just, I'm a completist. Um it did not diminish the original because the original is always the original. Like no matter what story we're talking about, uh, what comes after that, it it doesn't erase how I feel about an original story. Uh, I will say I've read The Dark Knight Strikes Again once. Uh, did not like it at all, but I'm going to read it again. Uh, Paul Herman, he gave me an approach that I'm going to test out. I'm going to have an experiment. So we'll see. I like Dark Knight 3. I think The Last Crusade actually is overrated because I didn't think much happened in that. And once something was about to happen, the book was over. <laughs> uh, go ahead. What do you say? What do you say, Robert? Well, I mean, I'll say I don't hate Dark Knight Strikes Again, although okay. it's a mess. Uh-huh. But I, I feel that the first issue sets out an interesting uh, path. I, I especially like... Uh, Adam imprisoned in a petri dish, and uh, Flash kind of trapped in a hamster wheel, powering the West Coast. Hmm. So I, I think there is a kind of fun ideas. I mean, it's not the Dark Knight Returns, but that nine eleven happened, and I think Miller went kind of insane, <laughs> kind of <laughs> process it through his art as he's getting the story out. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I, I will read it again. Yeah, Paul but, said that I should read it the noir version, which is also a version of Dark Knight Returns that's available yeah. as the noir version. He said I should read it that that way, and it'll give me a new, not gonna like be this. Oh, now all of a sudden it's a masterpiece, but he thinks it's a better uh, way to read the story, experience the story is the noir version. So I might, yeah, I, I'm gonna attempt that. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a mess and it's ugly, and I I, I feel that Lynn Varley tries something with coloring that doesn't work. So, gotcha. okay. Well, right. everything she does with coloring into the Dark Knight Returns works. Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably haven't said enough about how good her artwork is or her coloring is in the Dark Knight Returns. I mean, I just think of all the work that went into that uh, hairy bone suit that uh, Joker wears. And I say, you earned your pay that day, Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like I said, it seems a little bit muted, but you try to think of 
uh, recoloring or touching it or making things brighter, anything. It's like, no, 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 no. How it is looks, that's how it needs to be for the story. It's dark, but vibrant. Yeah. Which was, I think I came across too, not experimental. It was just the, the uncommon way to do it. And the, the painting style that, that she was doing for this too, at the time was definitely different. Another, uh, bullet point and a full list of ways that they're trying something different for the story mm-hmm. so uh we're, yeah. we're at our last one yeah i i gotta finish up here as far as i'm concerned master race is fine it has none of the fire or passion of the dark knight returns uh mm-hmm. the art is good but it's not as dynamic as frank miller's it's more consistent of course but it's it's uh and the cubits are, are great craftsmen uh yeah. but it's, it's not dark knight returns and uh Last Crusade is good. I, I don't think it's exceptional, but I think it's a good good story, mm-hmm. and I haven't read The Golden Child. Okay. Um, I got to think The Master Race, it's nowhere near as dense. There's a lot of ideas and uh, subtle uh, themes running through and, and stuff for Dark Knight, whereas Master Race is kind of what you see is what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, I think, which sometimes with that mood, I, I like I, I don't want, I don't want deep. I kind of just want a little bit more simple. Uh, and th- that's a little bit more simple. And that's not meant as a negative. I just think that's how it's very different from Dark Knight. Um, last question here comes from good old Jay Yaws. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll touch on it. Surprisingly, we haven't yet, Robert. Well, uh, we knew this when, was coming. <laughs> we knew, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you'll touch on it when you get to that point of the story. But do you think Batman actually kills the gang member? the mutant who's holding the the baby if he does it makes several comments he makes in the story ring false when we discussed it on holy Batcast, we thought no but it's still not clear i want you to go first because you have been marking panels freezing frames and everything <laughs> yes i i have and i'll probably share it on twitter when this episode comes out um, <laughs> please do but i mean I mean, I, I looked at the panel first to, to analyze what Miller is actually showing us. And you can you can see that the uh, the bullet hole in the wall is off to the right. So it's not a headshot right in the center uh, uh-huh. as he lays it out. And uh, there's a streak going down the wall that uh, kind of leads, it kind of makes an arrow because it's kind of a, a, a long vertical line with like, well, I guess there's four points coming off of it, four rays coming off of it, but they all kind of make an arrow that points at that uh, mutant's shoulder, which is kind of jutted out at the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my interpretation is that uh, Batman shoots the the mutant in the shoulder. Gotcha. And I feel that that's what the, the panel is showing us, and there, there's no bullet hole in the, the mutant's head or splatter at uh, coming out of his head. So I I feel that's what uh, Miller is showing us. And I will say that there was always controversy at the time about Batman's use of guns in The Dark Knight Returns. Um, And I I feel that Miller uh, much prefers that uh, uh, Batman not use guns, but Batman doesn't have a rule against using guns in The Dark Knight Returns. Heck, he unleashed his military hardware uh, the mutants he uh breaks the joker's neck which is in many ways worse than shooting somebody in the shoulder um i mean batman has a cold but it's a complicated cold and he, he kind of has this monster inside that he lets out at times 
and that monster will shoot somebody in the shoulder with a gun, <laughs> especially when there's an innocent child uh, being threatened. I, I feel that if you're going to threaten innocent children, you, you don't want to mess with Batman. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that that line of thinking when there are people that make that argument, not Jay wasn't making that argument or anything, uh, sympathizing, says, Batman, he said he doesn't use guns and he shot this mute right here, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's a Wolper angle right there of the mutant's going to shoot and kill a kid. I yes. don't care what happens to the mutant. The, the the thought of saving the innocent saving the child comes first at that point uh in i didn't know they make this definitely clear in the animated movie uh they i think they shoot in the shoulder i just watched so mm-hmm. i'm really feeling almost 35 robert because i just watched this movie and i'm already forgetting <laughs> certain parts but i thought he shot him in the shoulder in the movie um yeah so that well, made that I mean, he could have been RoboCop and shot him in the balls. He could <laughs> should have. Miller took the the coward way out. I feel out. that's a that's another thing <laughs> RoboCop took from uh, Dark Knight Returns and amped it up in oh a more satirical gosh. way. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the line of the "I believe you," we that's iconic. I think um, it was in Batman vs Superman. Um, yeah. That I believe the smashing through the walls and Batman versus Superman. Uh, a lot of people, I think, do get it confused in, in a defense of no, he didn't shoot and kill the mutant because that's who's hanging upside down a couple pages later. That's incorrect. The one that he grabs through the wall um, yeah, is the mutant who's the hanging gun. upside down. Yeah, carrying the machine gun, got the yellow coat. Uh, yeah, I just so for me a little bit, the, he used the gun and then, I mean, in the in book four. He holds up a gun and says, this is the weapon of the enemy. We do not need it. We will not use it. So I feel like that's almost like that's kind of contradicting to the point earlier. He uses yeah, well, the, the guns on the, the Batmobile fighting the mutants, but he says rubber bullets, honest. So he's like, he's covering his tracks there. So it's, it's a little shades of gray, but directly using to execute and take out the enemy. He's, he's not doing that. Yeah. Well, I, I will also say that, uh, Batman has rules for himself. Yeah. And he has rules for Robin and his followers. And they're not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it's hypocritical, but it is Batman. Um, mm-hmm. And I also say that Batman's use of that gun is not clumsy at all. It's very precise. True. And yeah. efficient. And it does the job. Um, he, he takes out the, the mutant, but he doesn't kill him. And he, uh, uh, saves a kid and uh, he could live with it. I, I feel Miller actually addressed that ahead of time. I have mm-hmm. an article from Amazing Heroes number 69. Um, let me see. <gasps> you I can to me read too? that quote. Miller uh, basically says uh, there's the protector and there's also the monster. He goes out and punches people out. It's very silly to write a story and say I don't want the good guy to do anything bad so i'm going to manipulate reality so he won't have to it gets ridiculous you're trying to warp the world so people can fight bad guys and make the world safe without harming anybody i don't believe heroes have to be reflections of the writer's moral code i think of hero as someone who does something magnificent he can have all sorts of faults besides that uh he is who he is and the rest of the world can figure out whether that's whether what he does is morally correct or not um, and that's one of the reasons I have a continuous debate going on everywhere in the series about 
what he's doing and to him it's irrelevant there's no choice involved <laughs> wow all right oh. i feel that miller puts batman in a tough situation and batman says that's not my one rule my one rule is i don't kill well tonight you're gonna break your one rule <laughs> uh mr reineke what are your final thoughts on batman the dark knight returns well, I mean, if you have anything left to say about it, <laughs> I mean, we we haven't even get really delved into it, all of its effects. We haven't delved into sarcastic uh, Alfred. Um, I, I mean, I know, and we're already I, I over feel, two and a quarter already. Yeah, it's like, I oh mean, man, <laughs> for, for all its influences, I I feel that people still don't really respect Robin, though Frank Miller obviously considers Robin an important part. Uh, of of the story um so i mean i mean what what else is there to say i mean this is a big book and as we said at the beginning we weren't going to cover everything yep um but it's big it's operatic it's uh miller unleashed putting the, one of the final nails in the comic code authority it would take a few years but dark Knight returns is definitely one of those nails um it uh made adult superhero comics by popular characters very much the rage uh it influences fast in all sorts of ways and uh i think it's just a a great exciting fast moving hard hitting bone crunching book <laughs> oh and we never even talked about all the great vehicles in it it's fun too and funny <laughs> <laughs> i have nothing else to add <laughs> There you go. I'll tell you, here we go. Here's information. Uh, the Absolute Edition was available and I was able to get it because I passed Spanish, uh, my, uh, four semesters of Spanish, my requirement in college. Uh, <laughs> and I said my reward if I finished and or if I passed, completed all my Spanish, I would go by my, my retreat would be the Absolute Dark Knight. And uh, sure enough, I did. So, um, muy bueno. Muy bueno, Brian. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, that'll, that'll wrap it up for Dark Knight Returns, in which there's maybe there's a good chance uh, I'll come back to it in some fashion. Because as Robert just listed, a couple of the many things we didn't even touch upon, and yet, how much did we touch on over two hours? So, yeah. Uh, that's all signs of a, of a, of a classic, right? Endless hours, endless angles. You could talk about um, the art itself. Uh, last thing before we go is definitely a plug for the Batman book club, Twitter at the Batman BC, because um, after each episode, which you may have noticed, if you follow along is posting new polls. Uh, the last poll um was dealing with under the red hood in which it said in dealing with servicing batman's story how do you think jason todd is better served dead and buried or alive as red hood and 34.2 percent of people voting said dead and buried whereas 65.8 said alive as red hood uh thanks for everybody who votes and robert you were actually talking about before we started <laughs> recording what my a poll will be for this one and uh Hopefully the poll will be available when this episode drops. If not, hang, uh, hang in there because it will be in which I think where we'll be at is which moment from the Dark Knight Return stands out the most to you? His return, 
the mutant fight, the Joker fight, or the Superman fight? Ooh, that's a tough pull. (laughs) And that's why I think I landed with that one first, because, I mean, it's each chapter. uh, It's probably like the headline from each chapter, the biggest moment. So which one stands out the most for you? Um, Yeah, so go to the at the Batman BC on Twitter and you can cast your vote for that. Robert, you can tell me how you're going to vote or leave it a mystery but i mean we both said our favorite parts of the story was the return so it could be a loud mysterious about it <laughs> <laughs> got it uh i do want to thank you thank you for uh coming back to the show thank you for bringing all of your insight and uh knowledge yet again especially with a book with this book uh, I, yeah. I really appreciate it. And if there's uh, anything, that, if people don't follow you, uh, plug away anything and everything, please. Yeah, well, probably most of interest will be my uh, podcast Swamp Things, where uh, I basically went through uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run, uh, issue by issue, including the issues where uh, Swamp Thing and Batman fight Gotham. Mm. Um, that uh uh, there's 50 episodes of it and that uh, the run is complete so you you can uh, uh start on it and uh, uh finish it up uh john beerley the much missed john beerley was part of the podcast for the first uh 36 episodes so um i i think uh people who like this episode will certainly enjoy that podcast yeah. also mm-hmm. i have a podcast on uh the feed for where the long tail ends called still watching the skies where uh, we every month we uh, take a look at uh, uh, some of the lesser discussed uh, currently uh, or some of the lesser discussed science fiction movies of the past um, so there'll be foreign films b movie curious odysseys some classics that seem to have fallen off the radar uh, Next month, uh, we'll be discussing The Incredible Shrinking Man, which I think will be a fun discussion. So uh, people are uh, invited to check that out, too. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> there you go. You want to get smarter, follow Robert Reinecke. You'll learn many things. <laughs> As for the Batman Book Club, like I said, you can follow on Twitter and Instagram at the Batman BC for latest episode drops. Uh, upcoming episodes sometimes some giveaways and like i've said batman polls you can also follow the youtube channel on youtube where a a new video has dropped from page to screen where with paul herman we talk about the under the hood story adapted into the under the red hood movie check that out if you can if you want to write in with questions or comments you can at the batman bc at gmail.com as i said at the top of the show if you re- if you like the show and the show and you want to support it you can do that through patreon patreon.com slash the batman bc it really helps out the uh the cost of the show uh you can also support the show with merchandise on the t public store on t public just type in tbbc and you can see uh the designs and where you can buy t-shirts mugs notebooks onesies for your little ones but if you really want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money at all it's 100 a okay you know that do that through the rate and review on apple podcasts the more reviews a link no actually a link to that page is in the description of this episode the more reviews it gets the more it helps spread the word and as we all know the word is panic so for robert reineke i am ryan lauer and until next time read more batman comics <laughs>